Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 28 June, a day early. Um, bad laws, bad hackers, TikTok banned, Lucifer, and abused robots. All this and more on the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up uh, when we return. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you this important it's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Hello, I'm Dr. Doug White from Roger Williams University. Now they got me saying it. Um, I'm your host and welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show. So first we'll wrap up all the show topics from this week. On Application Security Weekly number 112, Mike, Matt, and John had an interview with Cesar Rodriguez, uh, who's the head of developer advocacy advocacy at Acurix. Uh, this segment was about uh, focusing on infrastructure as code, which is a big deal if, if you're not familiar with, with that. But infrastructure as code is something that is starting to become, that's one of the, the main ideas behind you know virtualization and cloud and all this kind of stuff. And they were talking about how to ensure the integrity of the deployed uh, code. So as you start pushing this out, how do you make sure that the code that's actually in use is the code that's that's you thought it was? Uh, they did not take up my questions about is the cloud really just a big mainframe in the sky with cooler names? But you know that's that's just me. Uh, on Business Security Weekly number one seventy eight, Paul, Jason, and Matt had an interview with Graham Park, uh, the CISO at Matillion. Uh, this was an interview that covered how Graham had gotten started in CyberSec. It was issues in the CISO sphere, reporting, uh, all, all kind of good stuff if you're interested in trying to get involved in as being a CISO or you're trying to move up to that role. Um, and incidentally, if you'd like to hire me uh, to begin a reign of terror, well, my resume is on evil LinkedIn. Uh, that's not LinkedIn, but evil LinkedIn. Um, anyway, that's a really like, probably a joke nobody's ever going to get but anyway um on enterprise security weekly number 189 john matt and paul had an interview with greg thomas uh the lead security engineer at javion uh and they were discussing high trust compliance in small and medium environments and how to use automation and scalable practices in the cloud in order to be high trust compliant and high trust if you aren't familiar with it is the health information trust alliance certification that is used uh, in the healthcare industry to ensure that you know you, you're meeting all these basic standards paging dr man dr jeff man a white courtesy telephone please um a second interview with franz payer uh the ceo uh at cyber skyline uh this was an interview was talking about how to find talented cyber pros who may not have an extensive resume 
they were talking about CTF exercises being used to help cast a wider net than what uh, maybe a traditional interview process uh, did. It's very interesting to me uh, to see that. I've, I've been, always been a huge advocate of practical interviews rather than can you tick all these boxes or whatever. I know back in the 80s, a lot of banks used to do really strange things to try to find like currency traders. Uh, like Morgan Guarantee Trust, which was a big bank in New York City, used to have these like sort of almost American Idol-like auditions for people who could do certain types of calculations in their head. Um, but, you know, it ju just forget the checkboxes and test for the skills. I, so I'm a fan of that. On Security Weekly News number 45, uh, Jason Wood returned after uh, being away while we had some guests. And he was talking about Revil and uh, the new auctions that are going on in ransomware and, and how people are turning their websites into more you know, customer-friendly malware sites on the dark web. On Security and Compliance Weekly number 33, Jeff, Matt, Josh, and Scott had an interview with Matt Springfield, the founder of 12 Feet Inc., uh, they were talking about taking a deeper look at moving PCI-related resources into cloud platforms. So, yeah, another story about compliance and the cloud. Obviously, those are big topics uh, right now. And all, uh, probably if you're not already moving into or using cloud spaces, you will be or you're at least thinking about it. On Paul Security Weekly, number 656, which will air later this evening, an interview with Jerry Chen, uh, the co-founder of Firewalla. Uh, this is a discussion about how businesses can better assist employees uh, in securing their home networks. This is one of those things that's, that's really become a problem to me in the sense that all those security threats have suddenly become part of your enterprise and my enterprise. So it's definitely something that, that is going to be important. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that one. Uh, the second segment is with Ryan Hayes, uh, who's the offensive security manager at RSA. And I've always wanted to add the word offensive to my title, but so far I haven't managed it, even though it probably should be there. Uh, this, is, this is also a really good segment that I'm looking forward to hearing. It's OSINT scraping with Python. So, uh, you know, that, that always sounds really fun to me. And, and I think that that's just one of these really cool things. And, of course, they'll have security news. And I get to be on as well. So, yay. Um, I always like, to, like when I get a chance to do that. Um, my favorite throw of the week this week was something a little different. Um, Detroit's chief of police said their facial recognition system failed 96% of the time. So that, I mean, I was like, what? I, I mean, it almost seems like if you flipped a coin, you would do better than that. But nevertheless, uh, that was what was going on. So you know I love AI. I mean, I love machine learning. I love AI, neural nets, genetic algorithms, Michi's Matchbox machines, Turing machines. You name it, I like AI stuff. It's, just, it's very interesting to me. And it's very humbling to, to look at some of the code and see the kind of things people are doing. But there is science, there's academics, and there's reality. And uh, science is a process. So it starts with seeking a problem to solve, trying experiments, developing solutions. And then basically there's this big lather, rinse, repeat cycle in there until it, it, you know, the answer is obtained. Academics is about developing theory, basic and applied, and testing them. Again, lather, rinse, repeat, and they do that a lot. And they sort of do it through these sort of onerous, slow plotting processes, which there's a reason for that. Uh, often these things don't intersect very well with reality. And people complain about research all the time because they don't understand that, that you know, somebody who's testing that one little thing to get to some end is, is a really long process. And that's why we have labs. That's why Lou injected himself with radioactive gin and turned into Tanqueray Man. I mean, 
you know, it's like that's why we have academics. But so, facial rec, I mean, well, a lot of people, and by people, I mean governments and, and, and corporations want it. And marketing people then, of course, want to sell it because there's nothing better than selling to governments and corporations because they, they are willing to spend outrageous amounts of money to buy stuff. So if they do that, they can identify threats. They can use it for multi-factor. They can, you know, see what sort of show to show, what sort of ad to show you when you walk through the door on a screen uh, so they can try to sell you more. I, I get some really strange ads. Uh, but unfortunately, as often as the case, marketing has misled a lot of people to believe that uh, that AI is a far smarter thing and, and that AI actually is a thing and that machine learning can rapidly develop solutions with no data. Uh, machine learning will develop solutions if it's configured correctly, and perhaps someday AI will be able to pull all this stuff together. But ML is only as good as its training set, and AI is only as good as its ML. So it's basically, you know, if it's not, if you train it with racial biases or you train it poorly, you get terrible outcomes. So you basically end up with the equivalent of an eyewitness. And and if you didn't know this, human eyewitnesses, <laughs> they're terrible. Uh, look at the data on that. Uh, so before you get all excited and implement RoboCop or Skynet using AI solutions, you might want to test this stuff a bit and make sure that it works the way you expected, or I'll be talking about you later. And so then, news from the shows. I, I have to rant about this one because this one's really driving me crazy. So the United States Senate uh, has a new bill, and this new bill is going to create a situation where uh, that affects uh, pretty much everyone in the industry. So this new bill, and, and we have to use the naming principle of calling it something that it will sound bad if you vote against it, uh, it's called the Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act, so as opposed to Unlawful Access. I'm not sure why you would need an act for unlawful access, but you know, regardless, you have to make it sound good. Um, and they pretty much ignored everyone. Uh, they ignored all the experts. They, I mean, gee, sound familiar? They ignored all the experts. They ignored all the scientists. They ignored all the constituents, and they just forged ahead with this. What it does is it basically empowers the attorney general to somehow determine best practices and enforce those best practices in, uh, you know, in an effort, I, I guess, to empower the government. But what are the best practices? There's no oversight. It just says the attorney general is going to basically get to do whatever they want. And what, here's what they get to do. They want to be able to limit encrypted communications. That means that they want the ability. I mean, this started long ago with, with PGP encryption and the clipper chip and on and on and on. The government wants a way to unlock encrypted communications. They do really, really bad. And maybe that's necessary. But the Justice Department could literally, with this act, demand that backdoors be placed in every encrypted connection. And that would allow them to basically snoop on anyone that the Justice Department, and particularly the AG, determines should be snooped upon. Now, I know there's some legal stuff built in there, but it's like now it's like the people that are issuing the, the warrants and the subpoenas are the same people who are determining what the best practices are, who are the same people doing the snooping. No way that's going to go wrong, right? Uh, in addition to all that, it has an X prize built into it to researchers who can find other ways to embed secure backdoors into various products. So they're basically, it's a, a, almost a bug bounty, only it's being awarded against other people. 
Uh, and this is going to allow anybody, any scientist or anybody else for that matter, that want to allow law enforcement to have access to these backdoors that they develop. And it says pursuant to legal process, but since they're defining the legal process and it's in the lawful bill, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. This thing is a mess and you need to tell your senators to vote against it. I don't usually take a stand on this show, but I'm telling you, this thing is bad. I get it. Leos, I get it, really, I do, believe me. Uh, Leos need mechanisms to wiretap bad guys. No problem. I have no problem with that. There's a due process for that. And I get it that encryption makes that very, very challenging. But this particular bill basically means that a very small number of people can basically snoop on anything they want, whenever they want, with no consequences or oversight. So this bill and the earn it bill are two very dangerous things in terms of the potential for abuse. And if you don't know earn it, uh, which is another bill about this written also by Lindsey Graham, used a lot of language about child exploitation. So they really focused that bill on child exploitation because once again, and I call these God and country bills because, you know, you don't want to be the person running for re-election where they're going, did you vote against the God and country bill? It doesn't matter what the God and country bill is. It can have nothing to do with God or country, but they name it stuff like that. Now, this bill supposedly in the interest of the children uh, basically allows the Justice Department to form a commission this time who get to determine what best practice on the internet is, but they can then punish telcos, OSs, or anyone they decide in this commission if they build encryption into one of their tools and they refuse to provide backdoor keys to the government. So, all, I mean, in all these cases, one, the bad outweighs the good to me. I mean, I mean, the danger of abuse just seems, you know, penultimate here. I, 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 at least there's a commission in the earn it bill. But I, I mean, it all just seems like it leads right back to that situation that we had with PGP encryption, where some other mechanism comes along that they can't break. And now they're trying to punish some telco and saying these people are sending encrypted communications and we can't break them. And the telco then has to ban people from their telco. I don't it, Where does it all end? Crazy stuff. But read those if you're if you're interested. I know I went on way too long about that. Um, Lucifer Botnet is a, a, a distributed denial of service. See, I got all worked up. And it's like, you know, wow, I have to get like a fan in here. Lucifer Botnet is a d digital denial of service that targets Windows. Uh, it is based on CVE 2019, 9081. 9, so immediately you go, oh, so people didn't patch uh, and other vulnerabilities. Uh, basically, what this thing does is it, it's, it, you know, it's a piece of malware. It scans port TCP-135 and 1433, and then it tries to brute force those services, which is RPC and MSSQL. Uh, and if it can do that, because there are, and it doesn't just use that one vulnerability either. There's a whole list of them that it actually can try. But once it does that, it has the ability to drop a Monero miner, which is not that uncommon. But it also has a, uh, a DDoS module that's built into the botnet. So it's another one of these frameworks so that you can maybe uh, sell this to people and say, hey, why don't you customize this for whatever it is you want to do? Um, Basically, you know, patching all those CVEs in that article could save the day. So, uh, you know, I, I don't often report on these stories that much anymore because I think we've said it so much. Patch, 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 please patch. Please get your patching plan in order because if you don't, you're going to get uh, into some deep water pretty fast because people are exploiting all these old uh, CVEs. And then there's prison. Uh, so Kenneth uh, Scutchman 
Uh, I, I don't know how to... I, I've never actually heard... I've just read it. I've never heard the name. Uh, Kenneth Scutchman, who operated as Nexus Zeta. That's a lot easier to say. So Nexus Zeta was one of the developers of Satori, Akiru, and Masuda, which were all botnets that were based on Mirai, and was sentenced to 13 months in federal prison and 18 months of community service. And he had pled guilty in a plea bargain. Aaron Sterrett and Logan Schweidiak uh, who are British and Canadian, and you know how Canadians are, uh, are also named in the charges in that case. So this is another case where people are getting serious jail time uh, for developing malware, for pushing malware out there, and they're starting to cross these international borders. So uh, there definitely are some consequences starting to emerge in some of these cases, but they are still a fairly arduous journey. Uh, and at the same time, Alexei Burkov, who is in a, who is who is from Russia, uh, and he had admitted this is really old back when this all happened. But he had admitted back in twenty I don't know something maybe 2017, 2015, uh, to running Card Planet and Direct Connect. Uh, Card Planet, if you don't know, was a was a very famous carding site uh, that was and, and carding sites were places you can go to purchase uh, credit card numbers. And they charge, you know, anywhere from a dollar or two dollars for a card number up to like sixty to a hundred dollars if the card number is really good or it's got a really high limit on it. And Direct Connect or Direct Connection, Direct Connection was a a, a malware site where people could get together, uh, talk about malware, purchase malware, sell mal malware, and on and on and on. But he was arrested in Israel back. I think it was in 2015. He was arrested in Israel. Uh, in relation to these two uh, criminal activity sites. And uh, he became the first person uh, extradited from Israel to the United States uh, as a Russian national So for hacking. So I, I know I had a whole bunch of criteria on there. But he, he got nine years in federal prison for running those sites uh, once he was actually brought back into the United States from Israel uh, in the not-too-distant past. So, oh yeah, I did have the date on here. Burkhoff was arrested in 2015. Uh, there was about four years of legal finagling then about who's going to do what to whom and is he going to be extradited, Russia fighting it, the U.S. fighting it. Uh, so everybody went back and forth, and it did turn into a political exchange of hackers being arrested in Russia, uh, including some Israeli uh, people that some Israeli hackers were arrested in Russia, and and on and on and on. So I think hacking has started entering into the national political theater as well. And with politics coming into the forefront, then India banned 59 Chinese applications, including TikTok, WeChat, Weibo, and even Clash of Kings uh, and other uh, Chinese-based games. In what I, it seems like is a political move. I mean, obviously, there is nobody listening to this that doesn't think TikTok has some problems. I mean, TikTok is a Chinese app. Uh, it's a social media app. For if you, I mean, I know you know what TikTok is. And, you know, there's all kinds of rumors that TikTok, and, and some of them aren't rumors, that TikTok has the capability to extract your data, which is true. That's not a rumor. And the rumor that TikTok sells that data to the to People's Republic of Chinese, uh, China government. Uh, India and China in recent weeks have had several kinetic clashes, and kinetic's what we now call fighting with bullets. Uh, it's called a kinetic warfare. And uh, this is a move, uh, it seems, from India to punish China and Chinese companies uh, in India. And India has a population of about 1.3 billion people and over 120 million users of TikTok. 
So, you know, imagine if your user platform just suddenly drops 120 million users. That might affect your revenue. Uh, it may be, you know, these are sort of the, the virtual shots being fired alongside the kinetic shots, which were fired earlier. So I do think we're going to see more of this kind of economic punishment going forward. Uh, TikTok has, of course, denied that they were sharing any data with the Chinese government, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Netgear released a notice uh, that 79 of its routers and other products are subject to a serious vulnerability. Over 700 uh, variants of its firmware versions are vulnerable to these flaws. They were found by Adam Nichols at Grimm. And uh, the vulnerability is a web server that they put on their Netgear products that have web support. So any of these web uh, Netgear products, which uh, most of their routers and things can be accessed through a web, uh, you know, like a web interface with a browser. Uh, and these can be exploited due to lacking stack cookies and other missing tools on the devices. There's a whole list of them in one article I posted. Um, this basically allowed Nichols to build attacks, which he exploited on, on, I think he didn't do all of them, but he did enough of them to convince Netgear there was a problem. So if your users are using Netgear or anything else at home to connect back to your enterprise, you may want to start thinking a little bit about how your role is expanding for home support, because you know that is happening whether you like it or not. You're suddenly supporting most of your users being at home, they're using equipment you didn't purchase, equipment you don't support, yet that unsupported equipment may actually be a problem. Netgear has started putting out workarounds and hotfixes, uh, being a, but just the fact that they put them out doesn't get them in installed. And you may end up getting the calls from people at home saying, I don't know what to do about this. So if you do send out notifications on this, which you, maybe you should, uh, you know, you may end up supporting it at the same time. And finally... Uh, the, the pandemic uh, has stranded people in their domiciles for months now. And, and I'm not going to say any of these names out loud because it causes problems. And Alicia, Suri, et al., uh, you know, are stranded with you. Um, <laughs> I've started calling all these things Aliyah. So that's what I've been for at Alia, which in Latin is like and all the rest. So I've been calling them Aliyah which is a better name anyway, and it, and it doesn't have a reaction. But I guess people have been taking out their frustrations on the hapless bots that listen to our every inner thought when we're screaming it out in the, in the house we've been locked in for months. I, I, I have had this experience myself. Just the other day, I, I stepped on a cat uh, when I got up, and I st stepping on cats, heavy with a cat was fine, don't worry. Uh, I, I immediately yelled a whole bunch of, of really loud swear words, uh, and guess what? Uh, and my drink hit the floor, and Aliyah said, that's not very nice. And I went, uh-oh, okay. So I seriously at that moment thought about putting Aliyah in a burlap bag with a brick and heading down to the bay. You know, yeah, I was really like, okay, we're taking this thing, and we're taking it down to the bay. It's, it's over. But it did make me think about all the anger being taken out on automotive, uh, like your automotive voice system. My car is always listening. Um, you know, Aaliyahs, Roombas, and sex robots that are all getting yelled at and abused in these times of trouble. And I was wondering, who's going to represent these nameless victims in the coming days? So head on down to Dr. Doug's Virtual Hurt Center. Uh, you know, if you've been harmed virtually and you're a virtual being, we will be happy to represent your virtual selves. And that's a news wrap-up for the week of 28 June 2020 in the time of plague. I'm Doug White from the RD Online Cyber Program at Roger Williams University. We'll see you next week on the network that never sleeps. Security Weekly, and I'll see you on Paul Security Weekly in a few hours. Read the science and stay safe.